In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, Zoe speaks with Heath Raftery, Head of Technology at Boutique Electronic Product Consultancy, Newey Ventures. Heath tells us about his background in computing and electrical engineering and why the strengths and weaknesses of engineers led him to an interest in economics, communication, and human behavior. He explains how he became interested in smart concepts thanks to initiatives of the City of Newcastle and how he sees Australia currently embracing the smart community space. Heath shares some of the projects he's currently working on, including Smart Play, an initiative which involves playful ways to capture, use, and communicate smart city data. Zoe and Heath then cover why integration really needs organizations being supportive of individuals being collaborative and the emerging trend of making grassroots projects sustainable through financial as well as community support. A quick warning, the audio quality of this episode does diminish in the last few minutes of the interview, but it's very listenable and well worth it too, as it's such a great conversation about the importance of local champions in smart regions. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community. Smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Heath. How are you today? Very well. Thank you, Zoe. Excellent to hear. Let's jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you are passionate about? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a bunch of small country towns around New South Wales. I was always building stuff and breaking stuff and then fixing it again. Uh, Lego and motorbikes and tree houses and all sorts of stuff. And then uh, when I was old enough to reach a keyboard, Dad introduced me to the family Apple IIe desktop PC. And I found that this crazy obedient machine could do all these things that I could command it to do and they were well beyond you know what I could do in my brain and then we got this 2400 board modem and we used the the phone lines to connect this uh, machine to other machines around the world and I was hooked but of course my parents probably regretted it because every time they went to make a phone call they get that that squelching noise of me uh, playing chess or something with uh, with someone on the other side of the world Anyway, so fast forward to uni and going to uni, career advisors were saying, well, you've got talent in mathematics, so you could be an actuary, um, that pays a lot. Or um, I hear that you can do courses in computers now, maybe you should check that out. So I didn't really know what to do, but through a series of fairly random events, I actually came to study electrical engineering at the uh, University of Newcastle. And I really can't overstate how fortunate that turned out to be. turns out that engineering is, uh, is what I was born to do. I really, really enjoyed understanding and applying the complex laws of nature that, that dictate how the world works. And because I had this background of, of working on rusty old bikes and banging bits of metal together, I had this pragmatism for understanding how things were going to work in the real world. But then about year three of, of that degree, I had this epiphany. There were all these other smart people, uh, smart engineers around me, but beyond the engineers, no one realized you know, that they were smart. So they were so consumed with being the smartest people in the room that their poor ability to relate and to communicate and to empathise meant that really no one cared. We used to have all these jokes in engineering about our idiosyncrasies and and we'd pride ourselves on them. 
you know, the, the ones like uh, what does an engineer use for protection against STD? His personality. Ha, ha, ha. Or how can you spot an extroverted engineer? Well, when you're talking to him, he looks at your shoes instead of his own. So anyway, I had this epiphany. All this, all this technical talent in the world was, was going to be wasted if you couldn't communicate it, if you couldn't make people care. So I started studying economics, the science of, of how humans are motivated, and, and I took an interest in liberal arts subjects, culture and community. So I guess as, as Mark Twain put it, I made sure that I didn't let my schooling interfere with my education. And so, long story short, that's, uh, that's brought me to where I am now. I run this, um, this boutique electronic product development consultancy here in Newcastle called New Ventures. And our job is to, is to listen and to empathise and to understand and empower our customers and, and work with them to create these products that no one has thought of yet. So it's super challenging, which are wonderful, but I really think it's crucial and worthwhile work if we're going to live in a world that, you know, values human-centered innovation. So I love it. Yeah, excellent. Wow. It's a kind of wide and varied background, but also like I'm an engineer, so I totally appreciate. You've heard of that shakes before, have you? Well, as a woman in engineering, you're not privy to a lot of those jokes. That's interesting. Yeah, right. But I totally agree that we engineers in general get consumed by being the smartest people in the room. And then that relationship with people is uh, really lacking. I was kind of the opposite. I love the people side and like I saw engineering as a way to just kind of travel the world and meet more people. And, and so I was a bit of a, a different engineer in general, but those relationships, I think like we really undervalue them until they're really valuable, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You don't realize it. In fact, people sort of wear it as a, as a badge of honor. You know, I'm uh, inhospitable and difficult to communicate with because I'm a genius. That's all well and good for you, but, but how are you going to get anything done or, or make people care if, if you don't, you know, um, have a bit of empathy? Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. So what sparked your interest in this smart cities or smart community space? Uh, so it, it, it comes down to the initiative of the local council here, the, the city of Newcastle. So coincidentally, right around the time that we were forming New Ventures, there was all these early excited uh, buzz around this concept of making the city alive through technology. So it was all about making all this city infrastructure like car parks and bins and street lights and park benches and even the, the space between these things. Aware, self-aware, so aware of its own state. And we started imagining what would the possibilities be if your city could tell you how it's going. So it could tell you what the parking pressure is like in real time or whether a bin needs emptying right now or how much facilities are being used or not being used or what, what the air quality is like right down on, on street level. So in, in, I'd always worked in connected products in industry. So this idea of, of making the physical world around us connected was, was really appealing and it was a natural extension of, uh, of the things I'd been doing in, um, in heavy industry. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because in industry, it just like automatically things have to be connected because it's an efficient way of doing things or that needs to know that that happens before this happens. And then extending that to an actual city or community, I mean, it's a bit more challenging, but like the kind of the foundations are already there in your brain of how it would kind of work. Exactly right. Yeah. So I had seen all these wonderful things that you could do if, if you knew how your machines were operating or, or what was happening in the factory or in the mine. And so, as you say, it's a lot more challenging in a city space, but the um, potential is really there. Mm. 
What is a smart community to you? Well, I'm actually really encouraged because I think the, the smart city concept has evolved over the last couple of years in the right way. So originally, I think the narrative was really about efficiency. So it was about eliminating all these wasteful activities and making sure that everything you did was data-driven and responsive to that data. But there's really something very clinical about that approach and, uh, and cities aren't clinical, you know, that at least the parts that make them livable are not um, precise and clean. So I think there's been this, well, I think it's fairly evident, there's been this dramatic shift in the narrative. It's the likes of Smart Cities Council and Smart Cities World. In fact, uh, I think you had her on recently, Sarah Ray, the editor at um, Smart Cities World. Yeah, so they've helped move this narrative along and say, look, the soulless efficiency metrics do not make a social movement. There's, so people started to look at what has actually resonated and, and it's this concept of livability. So all those aspects of city life that make people say, I like living here, you know, this is my city. So, of course, we need to manage traffic and we need to make public transport more efficient. But um, we also want to give attention to public art and to help people find their way around the city and enhance the, uh, the community connections that are already there. So it's about acknowledging that there's an imperfect and a weird side to city life and having the city be responsive and accommodating to, to the humans and the cultures that are within that city. So I guess that's what uh, smart city is to me. It's, it's reflective, it's responsive, and it's delightful uh, to humans. So it's about leveraging technology to make the city more human-centered, make it more livable rather than just you know putting in technology for technology's sake. Mm. Why is this concept, the smart concept, so important? Well, I think it's because the, the world's getting smaller. So to have a prosperous community, you need to attract and retain people from all walks of life. You need business people, you need students, you need families, you need your countercultures and you need mainstream workers. So we've no longer got this luxury of just building up and building out for ever, ever in a day. People want more from this city and they can also see that there's other options out there. So each city needs to discover what makes them attractive and make sure they can continue to remain attractive. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I think that's part of it for sure. Like the world is getting smaller. It is a good way to put it that we can see what other opportunities are available and also potentially we now have the ability to take those opportunities, whereas before we may have been able to see them, but it was too expensive or too far away or, or whatever the reason wasn't status quo or whatever. We couldn't take those opportunities. Whereas now I think the smart city concept, smart community concept really opens up those opportunities for everyone to kind of have a go. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And, and people start to demand um, uh, these things of their city because they can see that they're achievable. Mm. How do you think Australia is currently embracing this concept? Well, I'm, I'm no expert on it, but I think from my point of view, fairly well, quite well, but um, in its own special way. And that's probably a good thing because we've got these unique requirements. You know, Australia's got this low population density, high uh, multiculturalism. We've got this short history of largely primary industries and then this really, really long history of subsistence and independence. So we've got to do it in our own way and, and we have to get the cynics on board too. So I think we're doing a pretty good job of it and in particular in the regional areas because we've got these really proud communities. So what's resonating with them is that you should be proud. You know, these regional communities are important and there's lots to be proud of. So what can we do to enhance what we already have rather than try and, you know, import something that works in some city that, that doesn't reflect our way of life? 
Yeah, I really like the enhanced factor, um, particularly in, like you mentioned, the remote and rural areas, because I think that's what it should be, enhancing what's already there and continuing to, like, look at what we're doing now, look what happened in the past and then kind of go, well, what kind of future do we want to make together? Yeah, yeah, and I think if you look at attempts in the past to uh, shoehorn something in, you're really, really pushing uh, the proverbial up the hill if you try and do it that way. You know, these, these communities are, are built on strong networks and, and unless you're responsive to, to what, you know, that, that very essence, whatever you uh, place over the top is, is going to struggle to get some uptake. Mm. What are some of the projects and things that you're currently working on? Um, so we've got a couple of uh, really interesting uh, public art or, or public infrastructure uh, enhancement projects going on. So last year we formed this amazing relationship with the, the School of Creative Industries at the local university here and, um, and we've been busy reimagining uh, how you do public engagement. So instead of, you know, for example, a, a citizen's bus route being optimised based on data that they've never even seen, we want to start with the people and we want to see what we can ignite that way. Uh, so we've been coming up with all these fun, uh, playful public exhibition pieces that are not smart city data enabled, but they don't dictate any particular purpose. So the invitation is there for people to come play with it and, and figure it out in their own way. So I'll give you an example. We launched a project called uh, Baby Bulb last year, and it was this quite quirky, unusual looking lamp. And it sat in the foyer at the university here, it was made from local recycled parts. And when it was turned on, it would pulse rapidly like a um, like a baby's heartbeat. And then it was it was connected to smart city data feeds. And and whenever it detected that a baby was born in the local region, the light would glow for a few seconds. So it, it got people thinking about what smart city data actually is and what some playful ways there might be to uh, to capture it and uh, and use it. So we're branded um, this initiative. We've done a few of these sorts of projects, and we've called it Smart Play. And as we started to communicate this, it put us on this collision course with uh, with people in other cities who were, had the same way of thinking, which was pretty exciting. So we ended up partnering with Tulip, which is a mob at the University of Technology, Sydney. And lately we've been doing a bunch of public art lighting projects. So instead of just using a normal white floodlight on the art, we varied the light intensity and the colour uh, according to any sort of smart city data source you want to plug in. So the data, the smart city data and the light patterns become part of the artwork itself and they start to reflect the city that, that you're living in. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so one one that's going up this week, I hope, cross fingers, is an obelisk in a skate park, which is a pretty funky place to put a bit of public art and uh, and, and it's illuminated from the inside with these RGB lights and um, the council's able to connect that to uh, things like the local temperature the uh, any weather warnings, the air quality at the street level, any data they can get their hands on, maybe the number of kick flip ollies or something or other that were, were performed at the skate park. And the structure will um, reflect that data as it's happening. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds really good. And I really enjoy smart play. That's such a fun term. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've really enjoyed it. It's uh, certainly a project, uh, what do you call them? They're a passion project where, uh, you know, difficult to... Uh, get people to put money where their wet mouth is, but, you know, it's really rewarding in its own way. Mm-hmm. So how do you think we can better integrate across these different disciplines? Because I imagine you would have had to do a lot of, you know, talking to council as well as artists, as well as getting 
other people on board, investors, et cetera, et cetera. How do you think we can better do that integration across the different disciplines? Yeah, yeah. So this has been a learning experience for everyone involved, I think. And one of the fundamental things for me is that you have to break the procurement cycle. So you need a government that's willing to fund a bunch of genuinely novel, uh, not at all guaranteed to work projects that, that are implemented by local consortiums. So you have to break down these walls that are created by these mantras like, you know, nobody gets fired for buying IBM. So I, I cannot overstate that, that collaboration relies on individuals being collaborative. Very easy to forget that at the heart of it, it's about individuals acting in uh, collaborative ways. So there needs to be these avenues for uh, education institutes to partner with individuals from industry and to participate in government-backed initiatives that reflect local interest. So there's a couple of really good examples of that um, locally. The, the smart city and suburbs federal money, the federal grant that, uh, that was awarded recently ended up being divvied up and given to local interest to come up with novel ways to, to implement it. And um, some really interesting things came out of that. Certainly no guaranteed outcome, but it just got people involved and thinking and uh, sort of invested in their own city. There's another initiative that the university here did that they called RAPID, and it's been going for a couple of years now. And it's about just putting up a relatively small amount of money in the order of 10, 20 grand, and just inviting projects that have a, a government representative, an industry representative, and a university representative, and doing something new, you know, learning along the way, implementing something in the field that other people can interact with, and having a crack at it. And some really, really exciting stuff has come out of that. Mm, yeah, and I like your point about picking up on the individual. Like we can kind of lump people together as, oh, well, I don't know, government's not collaborative or private industry's not collaborative or whatever. But yeah, you're right. It comes back to that individual. Just, and obviously we, I, I'm well aware that we have to act within certain guidelines and boundaries and, and, and those type of things. But I think at an individual level, pushing those things and actually saying, okay, well, let's do something a little bit differently that is the hardest part, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and, and you need to celebrate those people that are willing to do it, you know, because they'll only do it for so long if they're not getting the other uh, support of their organisation. So even if an entire organisation can't be collaborative and, and involved in every single meeting that goes along in town, um, at least, you know, they can support um, individuals um, being involved. Mm -hmm. What are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough, do you think? Well, um, I think we just touched on it, actually. I think it's the impact, the importance of local champions. I remember talking to um, Chad. Oh, Chad Ronaldo? Ronaldo? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, uh, and, and obviously, he's done a lot of research into um, uh, innovative ecosystems and smart city ecosystems and what makes yeah. them and um, and he asked me, you know, a lot of things about the Newcastle ecosystem. I said, well, this has been in place and this person's doing this and this person's doing that. And he said, so how long has that been going on? I said, oh, you know, 18 months or so. And, uh, and he said, yeah, that's, that's generally how long um, individuals last um, when they're just running on enthusiasm. And, uh, and, and people don't recognise the, the value that these individual, these local champions who are working um, towards something uh, what, what role, what importance they play until they disappear. 
and they eventually do disappear if they're not supported or backed or, or given the, the freedom or the funding um, to do what it is that they do. So, yeah, I think um, one of the emerging trends is that, uh, that the communities are um, unequally aided by champions, by, by people that put their neck on the line and push and push and push to, uh, to represent um, the people that they're representing. And so I'd, I'd love to see some more conversation about how how we equip um, those people, how we recognise those people and the contributions that they're making. Mm-hmm. So it was Chad Renato. I just um, made sure I got Thank his Thank you name. very much. No yeah. worries. I uh, spoke to Chad uh, just uh, via email briefly. Um, I need to catch up with him again. So thank you for reminding me. Yeah, great, great. And it's so true, I think, like the individual level, um, celebrating those champions and even more importantly, as you said, actually supporting, getting support because, yeah, they only last so long and they can't do it alone. And I think us as individuals, we can really make a big difference, but the amount, the difference that we can make individually versus the difference we can make with support and like, you know, um, collaboration and all that kind of thing is just um, exponentially um, greater. So, yeah, no, I think that's a really good uh, point and uh, something that we probably don't talk about enough for sure. No, if you, if you want to talk about bang for buck, you look at these people that are, you know, running on the smell of an oily rag and, and making things happen in their local community. Um, and, and, you know, people think that it'll go on forever, but uh, it won't um, unless there's just a, a little bit of support and then that can go a long way. Mm-hmm. And we also need to remember that, you know, everyone still needs money to survive and thrive. Um, and I think that sometimes we see money as this evil like thing that, oh, well, you know, I'm doing this for love and I can't possibly get paid for it as well. That's, you know, then I wouldn't be doing it for the right reasons. But if you can't support yourself and your family, you can't help anybody. So I think like um, we have this real, in particularly in Australia, this kind of tall poppy thing. If someone's making a lot of money, they can't be, you know, doing um, passion projects at the same time kind of thing. So I think it's something that we really, need to shift and I think in the smart city space there's a lot of um, passion and but there is also the ability to make money as well like we I don't think we should separate the two things as well we either have to be passionate or make money so and and a lot of the time the individuals um, a lot of that support can actually be well it's not just money but like support with uh, you know well maybe we make this job you know, rather than you trying to do it in your own time, maybe we make it a, a role that um, you yeah. can get support by your organisation or, or whatever it is. So, yeah, I think it's so true. Yeah, it comes down to sustainability, really. Um, yeah, so, yeah, you're right. You know, these sorts of efforts, they need to be sustainable and, and they'll only yeah, run on people's goodwill for so long um, and, and a little bit of money can go a long way. There's, yeah. there's a really good initiative here locally called Hunter If for the Hunter region and it's about... So it's been accidentally described as an umbrella organisation, but the, the board are, are really keen to, um, to flip that picture and say, no, we're not another layer of bureaucracy over all the wonderful innovative things that are happening in the region. In fact, we, you guys are doing all the wonderful innovative things. What we're doing is we're coming underneath it and we're connecting it and we're pointing out that this person's doing that great thing and this person's doing that great thing and um, can we help? Can we can we pay for a um, you know an assistant to um, to make this a more worthwhile project or something like that? So mm. there's really encouraging things happening there. 
Mm, I love that. That makes a lot of sense to me rather than coming over from the top. Yeah. Coming from kind of grassrootsy, but um, in a sense of like making those connections and which is, you know, essentially the smart community approach, right? That's it. Yeah. You've got to recognize those grassroots uh, contributions because that's what makes a community. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Heath. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you. Um, I really appreciate you coming onto the podcast. Yeah, absolutely honoured. Thank you very much, Zoe. Awesome. Um, how can people connect with you? Uh, the easiest way is, is probably LinkedIn for what that's worth. Um, I've yep. got a fairly Googleable name. So if you search for Heath Raftery, um, R-A-F-T-E-R-Y, then uh, chances are you'll find me and uh, LinkedIn to jump on and drop me a line and, and make the connection. Uh, we'd love to love to connect with more people in this space. Yeah, cool. Well, I think that's where we connected, so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, true. Cool. Well, we'll put all the links in the show notes um, so people can click away and find you. And thanks again for coming on to the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Zoe. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. 